0: Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. I'm Jo.
1: And I'm Jerry, and welcome back to series four of Helpful Social Work. Last podcast we talked about social work with adolescents. For this second podcast of the month we are looking at another big issue and the aim is not to find answers or solutions necessarily but to think about an issue from a social work point of view and to ponder it so last month the issue was climate justice and this month it's racism uh, thank you to everyone who has liked us on facebook and shared us on twitter it's great to see new people finding us and sharing our work um i just want to mention joe that we actually had two downloads from the maldives in oh. the last month um, <laughs> so i was just wondering if a couple of social workers went on holiday and thought yeah, while I'm looking at this beautiful beach, I'll just listen to Helpful Social Work.
0: That means that we've been in the sun, Jerry, without even knowing about it. Or at least our voices have. <laughs> well, that's good. That is
1: good. Um, so do you tell us what you think um, about the podcast? And you can do this by visiting our website, www.helpfulsocialwork.com, and leaving a message or by commenting on iTunes or on our Facebook page, Helpful Social Work Podcast.
0: Okay, so on on to the topic of racism. And, and for me, actually, this feels very topical at the moment. You know, there are storms around this, both overseas and here, regarding how leaders talk, act and model inclusivity, diversity and tolerance for difference. Um, I just think this is a critical thing for us to be speaking about and I I kind of um, would like to say the first thing I need to say about this topic is that I know that I'm a white privileged person who does not have first-hand experience of being discriminated against because of my colour or ethnicity and when you think about it Jerry here I am a 54 year old woman able to say that that I've never experienced that type of difficulty or distress and I don't take that for granted actually I'm Really grateful that my life has been an easy life, I guess, but at the same time i'm outraged that everybody else's journey hasn 't been the same way, and I think that we all should be um I was speaking the other day about race uh, i have i 'm lucky enough to have a really fabulous, wise, passionate black colleague, and um we 'd gone to a northeastern town to teach. And she had been the only person of colour in the room all day. And we drove into town that evening for dinner. And finally, she just said to me, look, I'm not being funny here, but is it just me or is there absolutely no one like me in this place? And she made me really realise that for her, she wasn't seeing an echo of herself anywhere. You know, and we stayed in the town, we walked about, we went to Evensong, we had dinner and in the end, we counted nine people of colour for the whole two days we were there. And it really got us talking to what it feels like to feel so different from everybody else and to feel like your your experience or the way you are is not being reflected anywhere.
1: Yeah, and I think that issue of not experiencing discrimination in that way or that feeling of difference is a real problem Um, and it does give us as white people quite often um, a real break on talking about this Um, and inevitably through this podcast and any time that we talk about Mm. racism we will get things wrong.
0: Fear has has a lot to do with why we rub against each other like this in the first place and 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 Even if we do get things wrong, the thing is I'm open to learning and I want to do the best I can to make sure that my behaviour is fair, respectful and equitable to any person that I meet. And, And we're only going to be able to do that if we actually talk about the things that might get in our way.
1: Yeah, so we shouldn't respond to our, you know, ignorance or concern about getting things wrong with not saying anything. Mm. We need to learn and talk and listen.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I've been thinking heaps about why why are humans so sensitive to difference? And why do we identify so strongly with people whom we perceive superficially to be the same as us? Um, And I really kind of went right back to the beginnings of man, and i thought okay well we live in small isolated groups we're fighting for survival everything is competitive and everything feels dangerous and our primitive thinking system really learnt to equate different with dangerous i think and and visual difference is one of the easiest things to be scared about and we know that from nature you know plants that have red berries and things like that are often a warning sign not to eat blah 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 you know but this was all really a long time ago And since then, we've moved into larger and larger groups. But we're still identifying ourselves by a set of sub-characteristics, which have to do with who we belong to, who claims us, who we fight for. And as that immediate threat dissipated
1: so long ago, it Mm. became more and more about power, I think. Um, Yeah. Just wanting to have, to protect your position. Yeah. And and, and entrench it. Mm. Um, for your own, for the group that you want to promote power for. I think it might be worth just thinking about what the definition of racism is. And I had a look at the Collins Dictionary and it's both an kind of abstract noun, that is to say it's it's an idea. Racism um, is the belief that people of some races are inferior to others and a behaviour that results from that belief. Um, And it's also a noun um, of two kinds. One is that it's a belief that races have distinctive cultural characteristics um, and that that endows some races with um, superiority or inferiority. And that's been obviously completely disabused by research. And it's also um, defined as an abusive or aggressive behavior towards members of another race on the basis of such a belief. So it's this, at its heart, it's this idea that Races are different. People, people are not all people. Some people are different kinds of people, um, which is false, and it's also then ascribing some groups um, more you know, superior position, more power, mm. uh, more mm. entitlement, privileging them over others um, and undermining others. And so, it's really about. Ultimately, it comes out as preferential treatment to the people. You you like your own race, culture, People you ascribe
0: yourself as belonging to, really,
1: yeah. Um, and expecting better treatment yourself uh, as a white person than you would give to other mm. other
0: groups, um, and also justifying what you have and what what both materially and um, privilege wise as as being something that is is right and deserved and then pointing out the inherent or the individual characteristics of the other group as reasons why they can't have it.
1: Yeah, and in British law, race is a protected characteristic of the Equality Act. Mm. Um, so that means you you can't be treated unfairly, you can't be discriminated against because of your race, and it protects you from discrimination. The Equality Act protects you from discrimination by employers, um, organisations that provide goods or services, um health and care providers, which includes all social workers, um, housing associations and other kind of housing providers and education and transport and public bodies. And it's interesting, you're not allowed to be treated um with discrimination because of race. And you're also not allowed to be treated unfairly because someone thinks you belong to a group mm. with protected characteristics. Um, yeah. And the law yeah. is is a is a redress against Mm. Poor treatment, isn't it, as well as Mm. a a statement of rights, but it doesn't guarantee it. You're right. Yeah, people still have to then.
0: You have to act on it, don't you? You have to have support to act on it. And I guess I was, I was wondering how many social workers have been involved in helping people use this act. Was what was what I was thinking about, you know?
1: Certainly, we should all be aware of the Equality Act or the equivalent Mm. in our own jurisdiction. Yeah, Mm. Um, but yeah, also really fundamentally our social work ethics are absolutely opposed to racism. So within the code of ethics, the definition of social work itself says that principles of social justice, human rights and respect for diversities are central. And then in the code of ethics, it talks about um, social work being based on respect for the inherent worth and dignity of all people, as expressed in the UN Declaration of Human Rights, which we've talked about in another podcast. and that we have a responsibility to promote social justice not just with the people we work with, but also in relation to society generally, so social workers, particularly those of us with um more power and privilege, are absolutely obliged by our code of ethics to be using that not just and to promote the uphold the rights of the people that we work directly with but also generally across society. Yeah
0: and that is why i love being a social worker actually jerry right there it's just i mean it is just such a wonderful thing isn't it that we you know our values are based on equality worth and dignity of all people i just think that's so profound and it's something that we ought to just really keep in our mind all the time
1: but something um that comes up a lot in the literature and experience of racism is the problem of unconscious bias so i think all social workers absolutely would ascribe to the code of ethics um that doesn't guarantee that we live it and actually we need that objective Mm. feedback don't we on how are we actually behaving though
0: Um, yeah what more could we do and there's always more I think that's exactly right. Um, I was talking to you earlier about a colleague of mine who um, wanted to raise a question of whether what was happening in a in a work environment we were in was based on racism, and she's paraphrased it by saying to me, "I know you don't like to hear this, Joe, but," and it really pulled me up short. I thought, "What have I done that's made her feel that?" That, that That she has to preface it like that, like why what what um unspoken messages have I given her that makes her think i don't want to hear that as as one of the hypotheses or scenarios of of what could be happening and it, and it was a bit of a wake up call for me actually, um, and that's good, yeah because we're
1: part and, of institutional racism, aren't we just by yeah. virtue of being white, Absolutely. so we are associated with we are benefiting all the time from history and current inequality Um, and even if we were the most honorably behaving people all the time we would still be
0: part of that system Mm. so absolutely well we as you say we benefit from it and um, I was interested earlier you were talking then to me about um, the the sensitivity that people feel that they have to use um, when when they talk to us Yeah,
1: I think a lot of people probably have read um, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People about race, which is Rennie edo Lodge's book, and it talks about the difficulty of talking to people who not just have an emotional disconnect, as is described, um, but also that don't really want to hear it or find it painful to hear it. And so um, people end up having to adjust or, um, or sometimes deny their experiences because of white people's sensitivity. Mm. Um, and so it's not just about being aware of the experience of people of racism, but also being aware of our own experience of white privilege. Yeah. Um, and there's a really good site that I've mentioned before called Freeda, F-R-E-D-A, which is um, based at Plymouth University, which is about a race and um equality and diversity and talks about the need to look at white internalized attitudes and socially constructed, constructed privilege and not just be um, focusing on black individuals or groups because that positions the black groups as the problem or the, the, the issue or the thing mm. that needs looking mm. at and ignores the fact that white people also, a part of this it's almost like it's something that's happening there that we need to sort out rather than something that's happening within us yeah there's there's a privilege that we need to address
0: Mm. yeah and I guess that's because we don't see privilege as necessarily a problem do we (laughs) because we're experiencing it well it's (laughs) like the very very
1: simple thing of you know, if I'm describing myself, I don't tend to describe myself as white.
0: No.
1: Um, but I would describe someone in an ethnic minority group, um, or black, you know, a minority ethnic group, potentially by their race. Mm. Um, mm. so it's almost like white is neutral. It's not, of course. I did want to talk about some of the, the evidence around the impact of racism. Mm. So, mm. If, you know, we can talk more about the social work response. Um, there's a really useful bit of work that was done by the cabinet office which is the government office in the UK in 2017 and what they did was a race disparity audit so they pulled together all the stats that they had from all the different government departments to look at what we what do we know about different experiences based Mm. on race Uh, and found that there's disparities between ethnic groups in all areas of life um, that are affected by public organizations and some are more pronounced than others or have a greater impact on opportunity and quality of life. Um, and so the context is that the UK has become more ethnically diverse. So in 2001, in the census, we had uh, 87.4% of people identifying as white British, and that had gone down to 80.5% in 2011, which is quite a big change, really. Mm. Um, Lots of different backgrounds, lots of mixed backgrounds. Um, And what they did was they looked at what's the difference between different groups. And it's not as simple as white people always do better, of course. Um, But it is important to think about the main message that I got from looking at this race disparity audit is that we need to look at race and ethnicity always. um, Because it is significant. Mm. So, for example, Asian and black households and those in the other ethnic group are more likely to be poor and more likely to be in persistent poverty. Um, households of Bangladeshi, Pakistani, black mixed and other backgrounds more likely to receive income related benefits and tax credits and the ethnic minority population is more likely to live in areas of deprivation Uh, some pupils in minority ethnic groups are doing better than white British pupils at school Um, but for example, pupils from Gypsy, Roma and Irish traveller background um, or black ethnic group were doing you know, less well than white pupils and there's difference in employment rates there's um difference in the kind of occupation that people can do and the amount of money they get there's big differences in home ownership which i think is really significant given how much of people's income goes on housing yeah that's uh, you know home ownership is much lower among african arab and mixed white and black african households um and private renting is higher which is you know, problematic Really big differences in the police in terms of the level of confidence that, um, say, um, black minority ethnic groups would have of the police. Um, There's difference in, as we know, as social workers, in the response of the judiciary. So the custodial sentence length um, is on average um, shorter for white offenders consistently. Mm. Um, Black and Asian offenders receive longer average custodial sentence lengths. We don't know what the contextual factors are to that, of course, from this bit of work. Um, And again, in in mental health services, black women were most likely to have experienced a common mental disorder, such as anxiety or depression. And black men were the most likely to have experienced a psychotic disorder. Um, Mm. But white British adults are more likely to get treatment than other ethnic groups and experience better outcomes. And black adults are more likely to have been sectioned under the Mental Health Act. So... We've just got to be aware of this, haven't we? Because these yeah. are things that are not explicable no. without thinking about racism and not the impact of race on people's yeah. responses.
0: Yeah. And so important for, for social work because these are the areas that we're working in. You know, all of the things that you've talked about are areas where so, where you would find social workers. And so therefore we need to be alert and active and interested and curious and, and challenging
1: and that's the direct experience. And then there's also the kind of internalised experience from that. Again, not just amongst black and minority ethnic groups, but also amongst white people. What are our expectations then? What mm. service providers expectations? How mm. do we internalise all of those experiences and, and start thinking of them as the norm? Yeah, um, the exactly. Other thing I, exactly. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention was hate crime. Um,
0: yeah. So
1: the stats from 2017 to 18 across England and Wales Um an increase of 17% hate crime offences mm-hmm. on the year before, um, partly due to better recording. Um, but seventeen, 71,251 race hate crimes and 8,336 religious hate crimes. Now, that's just... The recorded stuff, isn't it?
0: Mm, so that? That's exactly right. right. That's thing. that's yeah, and that's really important to remember because there'll be so many more people experiencing things who never report it. Um, and and for me, this you know when I think about all of this, for me, it just goes back to how we respond as groups when we perceive that resources are limited or our power or our Stuff is under threat, you know, and there's been a real irresponsible dialogue occurring, I think, you know, on, on the worldwide stage around why some people are experiencing less now. So, you know, resources are tightening up, things are becoming more difficult, and people look for people to blame and i do think that there has been a real scapegoating of migrants there has been a real scapegoating of people who are different um
1: yeah and people do look for for someone to blame but also people entrench their privilege by blaming groups that they want to they have continued
0: to have power over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I do think that the media um, and social media and politicians have to have a good hard look at the permissions that they have given people to carry out these types of crimes and and the way that they can feel justified in doing that because I do think those permissions have been given. One of the
1: responses to uh
0: myth and
1: you uh scapegoating and attacks on minority groups is to go and look at what the actual information is about this um so we have uh i don't have the the report to hand, but there was a really interesting report looking at the difference between people's beliefs about migration and the actual amount of migration there was yes, and they're wildly different
0: yeah they um, really are
1: similarly looking at there's there's other work that's been done about how many migrants which is um i think generally defined as people who weren't born in a country so that would include my own mother who's and from me Ireland. it includes yeah. me um yeah. so you know, are the how many what proportion of the population we believe in migrants and what proportion it actually is and it's really again really different you know we're, we're far out Um, Mm. the majority of the population believe that there's much more migration um, much more many more migrants living here many more refugees, many more asylum seekers than there actually are Um, but we do have to address the fact that if we want to be a welcoming place um, it takes resource and time and effort Mm. to support inclusion um, and and it requires additional services to make sure that those groups have a good quality of life and we don't put pressure on, again, we tend to put pressure on the poorer, more deprived places um, and then wonder why people feel threatened.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's have a look
1: at some around the social work response. I mean, the social work response starts with anti-racist practice, doesn't it? And there's really good work that's been written on this. um, And that's both about recognising racism people's individual experiences and structural racism and also trying to overcome that with an individual with a group and as a profession across across our territory and globally as well
0: yeah actually i just picked up a magazine the other day in the um Alesky brandy williams was writing in the professional social work magazine about his experience of being a black male social worker Um, And he talks of the idea that you will be the best person to work with these families affected by crimes or drugs. So, you know, this kind of idea that because he's black, he obviously must have some experience of crimes and drugs. So he's going to be the best to work with this family. And this really narrow stereotyping that can leave a young professional working on a really narrow range of cases with a negative presumption of his own experience or background being projected upon him. You know, he also raised um, issues of higher levels of scrutiny, saying that, you know, um, uh, young black social workers, experienced male social workers, experienced higher levels of scrutiny from management um, than their white counterparts, a real lack of training and support, um, coping with the label of being a sellout by those who've experienced social workers, oppressive and racist, And then um, the belief that the black male social worker must have experienced some level of trauma in their life or upbringing that brought them into social work, Which which you can experience as a social worker anyway. But this was like, you know, a flat out presumption that that's the only reason that you would come into social work. Um, and he talked about the um, need for there to be role models in management and really good access to training and support for those to take on those management roles. Um, and it always feels to me actually like there's a real case in social work for us to be positively discriminating and making sure that the people who are working in the field are as diverse and have as many different viewpoints and experiences and voices and perspectives as possible. You know, we really want difference, difference, the birthplace of new ideas, of challenge and variety. And social work is a place where we need to be leading that way. You know, if we're to continue to adapt and thrive as a profession that has a legitimate role in shaping and challenging society, then we're going to need all the voices, experiences, perspectives and beliefs in the mix.
1: Yeah, something where – working on a lot in um, the association of social workers at the moment in baswell because we we have an equality diversity and inclusion strategy and one of the things that that's really pointing to is the need for visible representation of membership and mm. our client base in social work um yeah. is very diverse in terms of race our workforces as well um and then peters out as you get into the higher management um which would include the Baswa board so in within the nhs there's a race equality standard um which includes um it's it's a range of criteria that they monitor really closely across the nhs it includes the percentage of the sorry the proportion of board members from black and minority ethnic groups in each NHS Trust um, and it also includes um, experience of racism um, the likelihood of being promoted Mm. um, the likelihood of experiencing bullying those kind of things Um, so it's really important isn't it that we we set ourselves measurable goals to change this and to accelerate the change
0: Absolutely. And um, I, I see here too that there was a, um, a workforce review. The Adult Principal Social Worker Network in
1: 2017 yeah. looked at leadership in local authorities' um, adult social services and didn't get response from every local authority, um, but were able to look at um, around 750 mm. senior leaders across local authorities and 90.4% were white British. Yeah. Uh so given that the workforce, the black and minority ethnic workforce, uh in the smallest you know, at its smallest in any region is seventeen percent, but it's fifty nine percent in some mm. regions, you know, a ninety percent leadership of white British people is is really out of out of yeah. work. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. But there's, there is lots of challenges for us just in, like it, when you think about, because it's that idea, isn't it, of, of kind of sort your own backyard first. And um, <laughs> there's lots of challenges for us as social workers um, to really think about what. And for me, one of the things that article did for me is make me think. Okay, so when I'm training now, and when I'm with my trainers now, um, that's one of the things that I'm going to ask them is, you know, do we think that our training is as inclusive as it needs to be. Are we paying attention to everyone who's in the room?
1: Yeah, and I think having that curiosity and openness, not just to listen to other people's experiences, but to accept feedback yourself, Mm. is really crucial. I was just at a workshop at the Baswa conference um, run by a group that provide training on how to work with gypsies and travellers. And they gave a really useful um, summary of po- some pointers to help you when you're working with that particular group. who do experience an awful lot of discrimination. Um, mm. so the first thing is patience and consistency, being a person rather than an agency to people, having the time for them to get to know you. And that mm. you know being the, the sort of starting point for working well, being aware of scepticism. So it says the only experience of visits from anybody official for many gypsies and travellers is to make a complaint or enforce an eviction. They have far less experience of people coming to them to offer a service. So their expectation will be that there's something wrong if you turn up. And that
0: there's going to be some kind of catch.
1: Yeah, and you need to build trust. And then you need to be clear about why you want to talk to them about something and how you'll use that information. Mm. Um, Be aware of a completely different perspective. So the world looks very different from where gypsies and travellers are um they've really different approach to life really different practices really different um occupations um and just be be aware you know, try and understand mm. their worldview avoid generalizing um and be aware of of particular um cultural practices so as I said try not to be frightened of getting it wrong yeah talk to us ask us if you don't know mm.
0: And it's that it's that whole thing, isn't it? What What came through for me listening to that is that whole idea of when we work with people, we're trying to sit alongside them and we sit alongside – it's like we sit alongside them on a bench. So we're looking out at the world they see and we're trying to let them interpret that world for us and talk to us about it and describe it for us. We're not going in there like the expert – um bringing dragging our world with us we're kind of sitting down and trying to view theirs and that requires us to be ignorant in a way and and to ask questions and to be unafraid not to know things um, and and I think that 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 as you say is not common practice because we want to come in as knowledgeable and authoritative too often I think.
1: And some of that's masking anxiety isn't it? Of course. But. Yeah, I mean, we we talk all the time in social work about power, don't we? And we just have Mm -hmm. to keep it at the forefront of our mind, always keep it on the agenda, always talk about it openly um, Mm. and really be open to changing our approaches and our behaviours and our worldview. I guess to conclude, um, I've got a couple of reflective questions. The first is for social workers to reflect on what their own experience of race is. Um, and then the other big question is um, what power do I have and what power can I use or what power can I ally with to change things?
0: The graces are really helpful here, aren't they, Gerry? Because if you think about um, you know, the the tool that you can use, the graces tool, and in there it, it asks that question, doesn't it? If I was a different gender or a different race, Or a different age or a different sexuality would the same thing be happening to me as what's happening now and that's quite a good question for a social worker you know to kind of keep asking themselves would I be responding the same way if this person was
1: yeah so not just being aware of those um those really important characteristics but also asking about their impact
0: yes